Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Habs Culture, a Montreal Canadiens podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Habs Culture and on Twitter at Habs underscore culture to stay on track with news and updates. Episode 71 of the Habs Culture Podcast. My name is Justin Schwartz alongside Liam Baum. We were, we were here last week. We're back again. And since we last spoke, the Canadians have won two games and they've lost two games. They beat the Devils. They beat the Avalanche. They lost to the Oilers and they lost to the Sharks. Now, in this small span, I feel like last week, we weren't giving Caulfield a hard time, but you know we were talking about how the amount of goals that he'll probably score this season will diminish. He's not on the same pace as he was last year. But nonetheless, at this point in time, he's up to 14 goals. So he scored goals in three games straight. He has six points in his last five. And look, I know one came on the power play, the one yesterday against... The Devils came at five on five, a little bit of a chippy goal. The game before that, it also came on the power play. But nonetheless, who cares how they go in, right? It's a surface stat. Everyone cares about how many, not how they went in. And nonetheless, it seems like our goal scorer is back. So any thoughts on the last uh, few games for Caulfield and uh, and that first line, Liam? Honestly, it's it's really refreshing to see them finally dominate. I mean, they do it in spurts, but... Caulfield with six points in his last four, uh, yeah, four games, looking really, really good, shooting the puck again. There's obviously those mistakes that we always talk about, but overall, looking really good. Suzuki moving the puck again very, very well, and Slaff staying consistent. He's scoring goals, getting to the net. It's nice to see he's working really hard. And what's really underrated is his defensive game. It's not talked about enough, but he's up there, man. He he's looking really, really promising. I got to say. Yeah, you got to love the fact that St. Louis decided to put this line together and keep it that way for a little while, despite all the injuries and despite the lack of flexibility that they actually have in their top nine or so. So it's nice to see that line sticking together. Um, In other news, Josh Anderson was injured. I think now it's been three or four games, give or take. They decided to call up Josh Wah. Um, I don't know if we even spoke about that last time because I think it happened briefly after the last time we spoke. But Joshua scored his first NHL goal last night in New Jersey. Great feed by Monaghan, who we'll get to in a few minutes. But how are you feeling about Joshua's play? Five shots last night with about 12 and a half minutes of ice time. Nice goal. He was set up, but it was a nice goal, right place, right time. He looks confident out there. Obviously, he's not he's not one of the better Habs forwards on the team at this point in time, but he looks like he knows what he's doing. He has the ho- the hockey IQ, and that is evident. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about his his first few games and his adjustment to the league so far? Those first two games were a little bit shaky. Like it was hard to notice him, and he looked a little scared out there. But I mean, as a what 19, 20 year old, that's going to happen when you're 
playing your first games in the NHL. But last game, just a crazy turnaround. This guy was all over the ice making moves and shooting the puck. Like you said, 12 minutes, five shots, like absolutely unreal. He was skating really hard and he was finally gifted that goal. A very nice setup by Monaghan, but I'm happy to see him up with the Habs, not so much with the, you know, what line he's on and how much time he's playing, but I'm sure that'll increase once he gets more acclimated to the NHL, but it's refreshing to see. It's nice to see all the young guys get a chance with uh, the Habs dealing with some injuries. But yet again, Joshua, not a not a terrible start at all. The truth is, Liam, is that, you know, obviously the minutes right there aren't there for Joshua yet. And I don't, you know, I think that that's, I think they're right around where they should be, truthfully, right? We, we can't be giving a younger guy, a 20-year-old, you know, 15. Well, I know Slav, you know, first overall pick is getting 19, 20 minutes a game. And he's playing on that first line, a lot of responsibility. But I think for Joshua, like you said, to get acclimated to this league is going to, it's going to be a slow, slow moving process. And that's totally okay. Um, the one thing that I will say is that I know you said that you didn't love the line meets. I agree with you on the Armia point. Um, I'm really... I'm really liking him being centered by Monaghan right now. Yeah. I think Monaghan really slows down the game for him. I think that I'm not going to say that they play similar styles, but I think Monaghan, obviously the way he reads the game is what makes him good, right? 27 points in 44 games for Monaghan. We'll talk about that soon because that's obviously a hot topic of conversation. But I think that for mentoring Joshua, for getting him acclimated to the league, like we mentioned before, I think Monaghan is a great uh, centerman for him. Now, Armia obviously is a filler option. We're not going to mm -hmm. go dive too deep into that the Habs bottom six is obviously you know not where it, it wants to be when it's going to be competing for a cup necessarily but I think that Monaghan is playing a very um a very pivotal role on that third line for some of these younger players to uh to, to get to get their shot in the league yeah for sure he's an offensive guy Joshua so you need that guy who's able to dish him the puck so Sean Monaghan definitely a solid center to play with he's he just like so painfully slow though when he gets the puck even just if it's a two on one, he's not he's not skating up with the puck. He's just gonna get caught by the back checker. So it's hard to watch him in those fast breaks. But yeah, that, definitely not a bad center to play with. I'll tell you that. No, absolutely. And and look, and at the end of the day, you look back on their last five. He has four points in five games. Talking about Sean Monahan here, a plus four. He's taken thirteen shots. He's averaging about eighteen minutes of time on ice. He plays PP one. He plays some PK. You know what? At the end of the day, with 27 points in his, in his first 44 games this season, my question to you, Liam, is you look at this lineup. You look, and there's a bunch of holes, right? Kirby Doc is injured. Alex Newhook is injured. Christian Dvorak is injured. They've brought up Emil Heineman. He was sent back down to the HL. They brought up Wa, who's here to stay for now. Yelonen has, you know, established a spot in that bottom six, as we could see. They have Slavkovsky, they have Newhook, they have Doc, they have Suzuki, they have Caulfield. And now you're probably saying, well, Justin, you just named the whole future of the Montreal Canadiens. And the reason I did that was because I think, and I want to hear what you have to say, I think Sean Monaghan is actually a very, very important part to this team going forward. And you may say to me, well, hey, deadline's right around the corner, mid middle of February. If a team is offering a first round pick, you know, or a couple picks that are, you know, second, third round pick, you take that. I don't completely disagree, but I also think that Sean Monaghan, for the development of this young core and for the price that we're paying him, for the price that the Montreal Canadiens are paying him, he's a very good guy to have in that middle to bottom six. I don't know if you agree. I agree. I agree 100%. But 
the problem is he doesn't have lasting value here. The team is not going to be good when he's still playing at this caliber. So in my opinion, you got to take whatever you're you're offered. And there's a lot of talk heating up about Sean Monaghan being the first guy out at the deadline and the first guy the Canadians are going to move. And there was a rumor that the Canadians are looking for a first-round pick in addition to a prospect, which to me sounds like a bit... like They're asking for a lot here for a guy who's probably going to slot into a third-line center role and a second power play role on a contending team. But if you're given that package, I don't see how you can turn that down. No, I, I absolutely don't disagree. And I think that my first instinct is, yeah, absolutely. You got to take that. You got to take that offer if it's put on the table. Because, you know, a lot of people don't want, well, not don't want to admit it, but don't like the idea of the fact that the Canadians are a rebuilding team. But they still are in a rebuild. Now, maybe they're one or two years away and a couple good draft picks away. And maybe, you know, a UFA signing or, you know, a couple of guys making their way up from their development leagues to the NHL away from being a competitive team in this league. But I think that John Monaghan is absolutely, if, if that, if that offers on the table, I think you've got to take it. Um, but I do see the point that's being made by a few people out there saying that this guy being the locker room presence, one of the older guys on the team playing a prominent role, right? Like I mentioned three times already, 27 points in 44 games. Like he's clearly having a long lasting effect on some of these younger guys and it's making a difference. It's making a difference. Um, and we see it with the product that they're putting on the ice because you know what? The Canadians, as much as, as much as they're a rebuilding team, they're far from a pushover. They're far from a pushover. They've beaten some pretty good teams. They've lost to some pretty bad teams. So the consistency of their play is obviously, you know, teetered up and down a little bit. But despite that, they're still a team. They're not. They're not an easy win, by no, no means. No, not at all. <laughs> I tweeted it the other day that the Canadians go out and beat the Rangers, the Stars, the Devils, and there's another team in there, the Avs, but can't beat San Jose. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. But it just shows you how on any given night any team can win, right? So, I mean, the Canadians, not counting overtime losses, are a positive team, which is insane to say after 40 games and after all these man games lost but you got to realize they're obviously not making the playoffs at this point they're not gonna contend for a spot so just going back to sean monahan get whatever you can is he on a one-year contract he has one more year left uh, this is last year excuse me okay so again maybe a bit of an unrealistic scenario if he gets traded but what's stopping him from signing back with Montreal at the end of the season sure. in the off season, if he's really enjoying it, which it seems like he is because the Canadians right. were the team that gave him the shot. That's a good point actually. And on that point, if he were to get moved, I think that there's a couple, like, I think that these are the teams that are floating the, around the most for, um, that are in need of a center, whether it's the Boston Bruins or whether it's the Colorado avalanche. Now these two teams are probably going to look, they're, they're top of their table. They're top of their respective divisions. Now, it's a question of, are they going to want to go out and spend the assets on a guy like Elias Lindholm? Or are they going to want to go out and take the cheaper route and grab Sean Monaghan? Now, you look at the center depth, depth for each of these teams, aside from Colorado and McKinnon, right now, obviously, they're without Lekkinen, they're without Nachushkin, they're without Landeskog, which none of them are really center. I know Landeskog kind of plays a little bit of both, but their second line center is Ross Colton at this point. And yeah. nothing against Ross Colton, but if you're going to want to compete in these playoffs and have that stability, you're going to need a, an upgrade there. And if you're looking at the Boston Bruins, you're looking at Charlie Coyle at 
1C and you're looking at Pavel Zaka at 2C. Now, obviously they move some pieces around, but again, if that's a top of the table team that's going to want to compete, you need stability. So with that being said, if they can acquire Lindholm, I think, and I won't even, you know, I'll call it a consolation prize in Monaghan, but I think that he's going to, I think that he'll provide a lot to a couple of these teams if they're the ones that are, you know, calling Kent Hughes and, uh, and seeing what's on the table there. Yeah. But do you, do you personally believe that Sean Monaghan will be the difference on a team that really doesn't have a center core? Like, is Sean Monaghan better than Pavel Zaka and Charlie Coyle? Is Sean Monaghan really better than Ross Colton and Ryan Johansson? Like, maybe in the Av situation. Right. Well, you know, the truth is, is that I'll, I'll put it this way. I think what you're getting with Sean Monaghan is, a li- like I said, it's stability. Now, is it a, is he a difference maker? No, he's not a difference maker. 27 points in 44 games on a Canadiens team is very good, but is that difference maker worthy? No. But down the line, when you need bodies and you're sending guys out there and you need consistent minutes and you need a guy to depend upon, rely on, I'll take Sean Monaghan over a guy like Ross Colton. I'll take Sean Monaghan over a guy like Rajo. I'll take Sean Monaghan over a guy like Zach, and I'll take him over a guy like Charlie Coyle. Now, each of these guys plays a very, very good role on their respective teams, a very prominent role. But I see them more in that, in those middle six to bottom six, right? Like Zaka is meant to be a winger in my opinion. And I think Charlie Coyle is meant to be a a perfect third line center. Now, you know, maybe him, you could say like him and Monaghan are kind of interchangeable in that sense. And Rajo, obviously at the back end of his career, like who knows where you would put him in uh, Sean Monaghan's case. But again, like these teams are playing incredibly well. And I think that again, difference maker, no, but I think that they're one piece away from really state, like cementing, cementing their position i guess and elias lindholm is obviously the piece you want to go out and get Mm -hmm. but if you're getting if you're grabbing sean monahan for a discount price and we don't know what the price is right now obviously a first a first and a a prospect is not a discount but if they could get him at a discount then why wouldn't you right yeah but would you rather let's say give up a first and a prospect for sean monahan or two firsts and a prospect for elias lindholm well it's a good question they're both ufas and realistically, if you're going out and acquiring Elias Lindholm, I would I would assume that you wanna you wanna re-sign, re-sign him, right? Yeah. So I think that there's if if you're I think that it's worth it. I think it's more worth it to go give 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 the paying price for Elias Lindholm in that case because if you're gonna re-sign him, then it's then it's a longer term hold, right? But yeah. if you're gonna go give out a, a prospect and a first for Sean Monahan who's gonna sign somewhere else in the off season, I mean that seems a little bit steep in my opinion. Yeah. So. In that case, I and and I think Lindholm's just an overall better player. He's he's a difference for maker. Sure, for sure. I think I think I think the team that acquires Sean Monahan, uh, that acquires Elias Lindholm, excuse me, goes from goes from a contender, goes from a contender to one of the better teams in the league. Yeah, like more championship bound. Correct. Than just than just competing in the playoffs. No, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I just I I don't know if. I don't think Sean Monahan's going to go for a first and a prospect just based on you know the last few years of trades. I just I don't think I've ever seen a second slash third line center go for that much. So I don't know. I still think we take whatever we get, and Sean Monahan will be an important piece for any contending team that wants to get over the edge. I guess I'd say maybe just you know cementing their center core, but at the end of the day. I, I just don't see the Canadians holding on to him. The last thing that I'll say on this, Liam, is that I look back on times where a team went out and paid a heavy price, and we talked about this last episode, 
when they paid a heavy price for, um, excuse me, paid a heavy price for a, a player at the deadline. You look back on the Florida Panthers when they paid a heavy price for Claude Giroux. You look back on the New York Rangers when they paid a heavy price for Tarasenko and Patty Kane. Look, those are small sample sizes, but nonetheless, those teams weren't particularly successful in those in those years. I think with Sean Monaghan is that you're going to be getting a guy like that who has experience, who's played in this league, who's played heavy minutes in this league, and is going to be depended upon. And you're going to get him for a much cheaper price. And it's going to be one of those moves that flies under the radar, whether it's like Tampa did with Coleman or whether it's like Tampa did with Nick Paul. Yeah. Or whether it's like what they did with Barkley Goudreau. Like yeah. those, and again, those guys play a much different style of play than Sean Monaghan does. But I think it's the same level of effectiveness that they that that he'll have on his respective team that he gets traded to yeah that it's not it, yeah no it's just like not a game-changing dynamic to the team where you know you're running a completely new power play like florida was with five forwards or uh what's another example or the rangers also bringing in and completely changing their top six so yeah i don't think sean monahan changes the dynamic of a team which is positive in a way for sure exactly and I'm just going to take a second here, Liam, uh, to shout out our sponsors at DraftKings. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you could score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Guys, the Canadians are playing this weekend against the Oilers at home, and that's a game that I know people will want to get in on the action. You can check on all the lines, odds, and even some of the more prominent player props, whether it's to score a goal or to make a certain amount of saves. Even the Leafs are playing against the Avs, which is supposed to be a very highly anticipated game, and I don't want any of you to miss out on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet just 5 bucks on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the N of the National Hockey League. All rights reserved. Okay, Liam. So look, we're we're through the we're past the 40 game mark. The All-Star game's approaching. Um, a lot of teams are basically in it's now or never, right? Whether it's the Sens, whether well, Edmonton's figured it out. Edmonton has absolutely figured it out, but the Sens, uh, the Sabres, these are all teams in the Atlantic that I'm mentioning, but they're under a microscope right now because they need to turn it around ASAP. But nonetheless, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the guys, the front runners for certain awards, the Hart Trophy, the Ted Lindsay, the Art Ross, Vesna, so on and so forth. I'll ask all, you right off the, the bat. Ones. All the main, all the main ones. We're gonna we're gonna do a a quick review of those and let us know what you guys think in the comments. The Hart Trophy, the MVP of the league. Who's your Who's your guy right now? 
I feel like it's a bit of an obvious answer, but I, I'm torn between two guys, Kucherov and McKinnon. But I just think McKinnon's got this one this season. He's playing so well. You just can't disregard that. He carries this team. And we're going to see how they play without Nachushkin. But McKinnon is just... Without him, I think this goes the same with Kucherov. But without McKinnon, Colorado's just not not a top team. Oh, I, I definitely agree. I'm not even arguing. I don't even think it's a debate between him and Kucherov. I think McKinnon has that in the bag. Now, obviously, McDavid's always going to be at the top of the table. Kucherov is right now at the top of the table. You have Pasternak. You have Austin Matthews. And you have uh, even Jack Hughes, who's been hurt and will, probably won't grab that award, who I would think would be a great runner-up if he had played you know, a substantial amount of games. But McKinnon's just on a different level right now. I mean, you just yeah. can't take that away from him. And I think that that would be my pick for the Hart Trophy. And you could say, look, he's surrounded by Rantanen. He's surrounded by Makar. They have a good team. There's no doubt about that. But you watch him play, and he just takes over games on a different level. And I'll, yeah. and I'll say this right now, and I, I want to hear what you have to say about it. I think McKinnon is closer to McDavid in terms of in terms of skill than anyone else in the league is close to him. I didn't For phrase sure. that properly. Let me rephrase. No. I think that you you know what I mean, but Yeah, I understand what you mean. You're saying that the only guy or the gap between McDavid and McKinnon is closer than the gap between McKinnon and the next guy. Correct. Yeah, I, I I'll agree with you there. Just Based off this season and the last one, for sure, I think McKinnon's closing in. I still think there's a significant gap between McDavid and McKinnon, but I don't think anyone compares to the level McKinnon's at. Maybe it's hard to compare D-men, but I'd say Makar is very much up there as well, just in terms of dominance. Yeah, he. I think he's the most dominant defenseman in the league, and it's not particularly close. Obviously, you have Adam Fox and you have Quinn Hughes who are playing at elite levels, and especially Quinn Hughes this season. Um, so you could say, yeah, maybe the gap between Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes or Adam Fox is is still pretty steep. It's still pretty wide. Yeah. Um, but yeah, McDavid's just on a different level. But I, ha I do have to say that McKinnon, night in and night out, is giving me more of a reason to think that McKinnon is closer to McDavid than any other player in the league is closer to I, I'm not I'm not <laughs> phrasing McKinnon. it properly. Yeah. The gap between McKinnon and and McDavid is a lot smaller in my opinion than the gap between McKinnon and any other player. Yeah. And just way. just quickly to hop in, don't think we're regarding uh disregarding McDavid in this award. This is McDavid's award any day of the week, but just based off the recent play and the rough start from the Oilers, I think McKinnon has the lead right now cuz without McDavid, the Oilers are absolutely nothing. So I think it's just that start of the season that kind of ruined it. I'd also like to shout, well, we already shout out Jack, Jack Hughes. And I think that we're seeing it with the devils without Jack Hughes, the devils are in shambles. And yeah. I think he's making a case for MVP as well. And also one other guy that's flying a little bit under the radar. Um, Artemi Panarin. Yeah. I mean, look, the Rangers are obviously one of the better teams in the Metro, one of the better teams in the league at that. But without Artemi Panarin, I'm not saying where are the Rangers because they have Shesterkin, they have Zabinajad, they have Kreider, so on and so forth. But Panarin's playing on a different level this season. Completely different level. And I think without his play, obviously, this team is nowhere near the level that they're playing at. So he's a guy that uh, I think deserves a little bit of credit as well. He's shooting the puck this year. That's for sure. He's shooting the puck and he's finding the back of the net. You know, you 
you shoot the puck, good things happen, clearly. Yeah. Um, next award will go to, you know what? We'll make quick work of this one. Calder Memorial. Rookie of the year. I, we could do this quickly, but I can also say it's anybody's game if Bedard's out longer than eight weeks. Right now, it's Bedard. Bedard, it's Bedard's trophy. Engrave his name. But if he's out for longer than eight weeks and we're not solely looking at point per game, then this is really up in the air. And I think it's between Fantilli, Faber, and probably Luke Hughes. Yeah, I don't think, I think Luke Hughes is probably is the guy second on that list, in my opinion. Okay. I mean, Faber's playing at an incredible level. I think if I had to choose anyone but Bedard, it would be Luke Hughes. Now, the thing about Bedard is that, look, maybe this is just, this is my personal opinion. I think that they have hyped him up so much this season that at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I think that they'll have a hard time giving it to a runner-up like Luke Hughes or Faber or Fantilli. And I think that they'll just take the easy route and say, we'll give it to Bedard because his point per game was ridiculous and the hype surrounding him is just way too big for him not to win this award. And you know what? I'll say something too. Is that you look down the line of the people that that won certain that that won the Calder, right? And whether it was um, whether it was Matty Barzell or whether it was Elias Pedersen or did Pet Pedersen won it, correct? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, you look down that line. Truth is, is that I'm not saying that it will tarnish his legacy because I don't think it will, but I guarantee you that for Bedard at the end of his career, when he's gonna hopefully have won a couple of cups, you know, Art Ross. MVPs, so on and so forth. I think the Calder is going to be something that he's going to want on his shelf as well. And I'm not saying that he gets what he wants. I'm just saying that I think that the NHL is, th th this is their this is their child and they're protecting it. And I don't see a world where if none of these second tier guys, like I mentioned before, take that next step and perform at an incredible level, there's no reason in my opinion why they wouldn't give it to Bizarre. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. But to argue that, play a little devil's advocate, Connor McDavid didn't win it. So, and he was point per game. Right. And again, right. he, he missed he half the season. Too, right? He was hurt too. He missed half the season. He missed 40 something games. Right. So, or maybe a bit less like 37 or something. Do you know who won it that year? Panarin. Oh yeah. That was an incredible season by Panarin, right? Yeah. So I, again, there's probably no player that's second to Bedard like Panarin. See, that's kind of what I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I'd say it's probably still Bedard's, but if it's not, and they're, it's kind of like a McDavid situation where someone else wins it. Uh, it. It's very much up in the air. Yeah, very, 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 very fair. Um, so we'll keep it at that. We'll move on to the Art Ross. Um, so what are your uh, what are your takes on the Art Ross? It's been three years in a row that Connor McDavid has won it. 2020, 2021, yeah. 2021-22, and 22-23. I'll tell you right now, it's not going to be McDavid. At least I don't think it is. McDavid's got 58. And Kucherov and McKinnon have 72. It's going to be between Kucherov and McKinnon again. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if they tie, honestly. McKinnon's on a heater, but I, if, I'd if i like to see a tie, honestly. When was the last time there was a tie? I can tell you. Um, I'm looking, but no, I couldn't tell you. I mean, in the last, in the last since 2005, 2006, there hasn't been a tie. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, I, I think, I think. Look, that's that one's kind of like just up in the air, right? They're both tied. Who knows what's going to happen? I think it's just you know a lot of a lot of these players they're they're incredible, but it also depends on how many power play opportunities they're yeah, going to get and, and whatnot, and whose power play is better. They're both great, so I think I'll give the edge to McKinnon, and I think that will really solidify his case for the the heart. MVP. So put it that way. I think I think whichever guy wins the Art Ross, I think it's going to really maybe 
you know, give either Kucherov or uh, McKinnon, McKinnon. That, that edge. Yeah, just quickly, I think I'm going to actually give my edge to Kuch, Kucherov just because Nachushkin's out. And I think he is a big finisher on that team and scores a lot of goals. And McKinnon's going to be lacking a little bit of that talent. I mean, they still got Ranton and Makar, obviously, but just a it's a piece that's on the way out, so I'll give it to Kucherov. Fair enough. You're 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 playing the other side. I like unless it. Sean Monahan gets traded <laughs> and he'll score thirty goals. Um, all right, we'll move to the Vesna. So that's goalie of the year. Do you have your pick? Is it goalie of the year? Or best goals against? No, it's, it's best just uh, yeah, best of the year. Yeah. Okay. Um, Hellebuck, easy. I think it's Hellebuck, hundred percent. Having an unreal season carries that team. You can make a case for Demko. But I think the team... That's where I was going. Okay. But I'm just going to say, I think the team in front of Demko is better than the team in front of Hellebuck. That's that's very fair. I liked, I like Demko's comeback story a little bit. Well, yeah, comeback for sure. Story, I mean, just from last year, right? Like Hellebuck, Hellebuck is playing an incredible... Is having an incredible season. I just... I don't know. There's something about the Canucks and how... Like, the Jets make the playoffs. The Jets have made the playoffs. The Jets have got into the Western Conference Final. The Jets have had great teams on paper. And Hellebuck's been a part of all of those, so kudos to him. Just something about the Canucks season where they, they've kind of come out of nowhere. They've always been on the brink of a playoff spot or, not a, or completely eliminated, like last season. And I think just where the Canucks are at and in terms of, you know, the story behind it and the fact that he's playing so 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 well to me that's where i would just give the edge like right now just according to the odds books they're pretty much tied in terms of odds so they're i think the everyone sees that they're kind of neck and neck but i would i would i think i'd give the edge to demko there and if you want my hot take give me joey decord guy's unreal yeah well that's <laughs> if just he keeps you have a bunch it of i don't want to hear it i don't want to hear it <laughs> But yeah, good season for him too. Kind of impressed. I'm kind of impressed with his play um, yeah, as he well. Was, he was an AHL goalie forever. So absolutely. Um, okay, next Rocket Richard quickly. I mean, well, there's no. I don't. There's no. Debate. I mean, if you want to talk about Sam Reinhardt and his his ability to keep keep pace with Austin Matthews, but yeah. I think at the end of the day, Matthews will will take that award. It's actually insane that Sam Reinhardt has one less goal. Absolutely insane. But yeah, I. It's a consistency factor. Like you look in the past and Sam Reinhardt's never done this. So what are the odds he's going to hit 60 goals where Matthew's done it already? So giving it to Matthews. I just find it so weird, not weird, but like the Panthers get the most out of their players sometimes. And it's just, it's incredible. I mean, Sam Bennett's career was an absolute wash in Calgary. Absolute wash. I mean, oh, Sam Bennett. Yeah, it's true. When he came in, he absolutely Looked like a steal for them, and it's still a very right. like a physical player very that player, yeah right very. And then you look you look at Reinhardt when he was in Buffalo, he wasn't having nearly any of the seasons that he's having now. And obviously, some players take a little bit longer to develop. But then you look at Evan Rodriguez, same same sort of thing. He had a little bit of success with Pittsburgh at one point, but his success right now is unmatched to anything else he's ever done in his career. Really, yeah, no, for sure. And just look at some other guys like Mason Marchman, who came out of nowhere. The Leafs had him. What about Marchman? Yeah, Marshall so too. They they just got they turned get Montour too. Montour was like yeah. a twenty point defenseman, and now all of a sudden he's playing absolutely unreal, uh, quarterbacking a power play one. So good on them, honestly. Good on them. Yeah, absolutely. All right, 
Norris Trophy. Uh, this is tough, honestly. I obviously Quinn Hughes is leading in points, and I, and there's Makar there, but it's it's definitely between those two. But I'll, I'll give it to Quinn Hughes. Just I think I'm leading Quinn Hughes too. Yeah, just because I think they're gonna give it to a first time guy. It's hard to go back to back in a Norris. Uh, did Makar do it? Did he go back to back? Yeah. So he's only won one. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think it's Quinn Hughes, just the way he's been playing, super consistent. Makar, obviously, I think is still the best defenseman in the league, but he had a bit of a slower start than Quinn Hughes. So I think he has the Quinn Hughes has the jump on Makar at the moment. Yeah, I'll absolutely. I think I'm going to go with Quinn Hughes too. Obviously, McCarr is the best defenseman in the NHL, and there's no doubt about that. But Hughes' season right now is just incredible, and he's really he's really upped his game defensively as well, which I think has been a nice uh, a, ni- a nice addition to this to this um, Canucks defensive core that has struggled a lot in in recent memory with uh, with defending. And yeah. then you add the fact that they have Demko, so be kind of cool. You know, you have a Vesna winner and a Norris Trophy winner. And speaking of that, it would have been cool if, you know, Jack Hughes stayed healthy and uh, maybe all three would have a chance at, you know, the Calder, That's the MVP, true. and the Norris Trophy. But nonetheless, I also wanted to, I don't know about you, like, I don't even think he'll get considered in the top three. And again, this is not because I have him in fantasy, Liam, but Noah Dobson's season is crazy. Yeah, super underrated on a really non-offensive team, right? So, right. And I just think impressive. that, like, like, right now, I think they have Bouchard ahead of him, odds-wise, and like, you know... Bouchard's having a great season too, but it's Again, like, I mean, right. You're playing with McDavid. So exactly. Like, I mean, you're, you're bound to get some points on the power play, right? Yeah. So, but still a great defenseman Bouchard. Yeah. I mean, and then for me, fifth, who's right there, Jonathan Kovacevic. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, that, that threw me off a little bit. I don't even know who I put fifth. I mean, some people, uh, you, you know, there's always the, 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 the constant names like Yossi and, McAvoy and Fox, Fox but yeah. I mean none of those guys are really gonna even touch the top three in voting in my I, opinion. I think so. I think Victor Hedman is probably up there. He is he's having yep. a really good bounce back season compared to last yep, year. Absolutely. And honestly, it's Sergachev being hurt has honestly helped him a lot, right? Yeah. Get back on that top power play and whatnot. But absolutely, definitely having a good season there. Um next and our last one for now is we'll do the uh the Jack Adams, so coach of the year. I, there's a lot of good candidates this year, I think, just in terms of teams that were pretty bad last year coming up to the top of the league this year. And some honorable mentions for me would be Rick Bonus on Winnipeg and then Rick Tockett on Vancouver. But number one, I'm people are going to hate me, but I'm going John Tortorella. Just like a super impressive season with the roster he has. Like, there is no top... 30 player on that team in the NHL. No. Like I'd say Konechny is probably the best player. Is he even top 50? I don't know. Look, you have Konechny, you have Katsuria, you have Drysdale now, but are these guys like they don't have a single star. They don't even have a single all-star. No, and everybody wrote them off. I, I put the blast in, in the Metro. They're in a rebuild. They're in a yeah. rebuild according to Danny Briere and they're putting up points. So absolutely John Tortorella should be there. I don't even yeah. think you'll get hate because at the end of the day, I think John Tortorella with what he has in front of him is doing the most impressive job. And I think Rick Tockett absolutely deserves credit. But there's no denying that this team had all the pieces in place to have a good bounce back season. And exactly. I know we talked about the fact that they, you know, 
you know, like how much can they improve from last year and whatever. But most of their guys had down seasons. Pedersen, Besser, JT Miller, Quinn Hughes, Demko. Like these are stars. These are absolute stars. So that's why I take a little bit of credit away from Talkit. And I think that's maybe why you're doing so as well. Um, But another guy that I want to mention here is Andre Tourigny. I mean, again, the Arizona Coyotes are a basement team. You know, they're bottom of the barrel. But I still find it impressive with like doing what he's doing with that team. Yeah, I I I agree. I I like the the Coyotes. But again, you don't have a crazy roster and you're a over 500 team. And I think one more mention that I think also flies a bit under the radar is uh, Chris Knobloch for the Oilers. Like, obviously, you got that team in front of you, but he came in and has a very, very good record. I think they were 2-9-1 when they fired... um, uh, What's his name? The old coach. Yeah, Woodcroft. So he's rocking like a 22-6-and-whatever record. So I mean, they've won 11 in a row. They've won 11 in a row, and they are fourth in the Pacific. So, and look, just by the way, just to point out Arizona, right? Fifth in the central fifth with 45 points in 42 games have a 536 win percentage or record, whatever you want to call it. And they're four points back of the predators with two games in hand in that central and the predators are in a playoff spot. So again, I just think like, obviously if, if Arizona miraculously makes the playoff, it's Tori needs to lose Tori needs to lose, but I'll agree with you on Tortorella. I think that's a very, I think that's a very, very valid take there. Um, moving on. Uh, so we went, we went through those. Let us, let us know what you guys think about those awards. Obviously some of them are more locked in than others, but some of them, are, some of them are fun to debate just to give you guys a little bit of a, uh, a stat update. So let's look at some of the players, Nick Suzuki leading the way with 37 points in 44 games, Cole Caulfield, 33 points in 44 games with 14 goals. Mike Matheson, third on the team with 31 points in 44 games. Sean Monahan, 27 points in 44 games. And Uri Slavkovsky at fifth place with 17 points in 44 games. Now, there's no denying that this team is lacking scoring. They're lacking point production. But again, we temper expectations because they are a bottom 10 team in the league. Let's put it that way for being very, very generous, right? So there's not much to expect. I'm still very impressed with Newhook with seven goals despite only playing 23 games. So yep. it'll be nice to get these guys back, man. I know we, I think we've hit, I think we've said it every time we've been on the air. But I mean, Doc and Newhook, it's just imagine like I'd love to be watching that top six healthy right now. Yeah. Now it, it would honestly be so nice. Like we say it every episode, it just it sucks to see development get hindered because of injury. And I think Dak has the potential to be our best player. So that really sucks that he's not playing. But going back to some stats, I think Caulfield is going to be able to hit 30 goals. And that would be like very impressive, very impressive second half of the season. And if he he's on pace for like 60 points, so that's uh, would be his career high. Never played a full season, but still pretty impressive. Nick Suzuki, can he be the first Habs player since Max Domi to hit 72 plus points? Something like that. And then Yuri Slavkovsky has one less goal than Tim Stutzel. Hey, you know what? I still think, you know, you watch Slavkovsky play and his game has improved so much throughout this season in a 44-game sample size. It's, it's incredible. Now, are there things he needs to work on? Absolutely. 
There's no denying that his puck touches need to get better. You know, he makes a few mistakes here and there, but that's, that's the game of hockey. It's going to happen. Now, just to put it in perspective, Uri Slavkovsky is on pace for 31 points, 32 points, give or take, 31, 32 points. Do you think he hits that mark? Or do you think he goes over that mark? Based on how he's played in the last, let's say, month, I'd say he could probably hit it. And again, 30 points doesn't sound good, but all these young players who come into the league at 18 years old, or a, a good chunk of them aren't super productive. Like Jack Hughes, perfect example. The guy was averaging like 20, 30 points for the first two years and finally broke out in that third year. So I don't think there's really anything to be worried about with Slavkovsky. And I think he's going to continue to reach those higher point marks. Absolutely. And you look back to, um, you look back to Miko Rantanen because I think, look, obviously end goal, you want your Slavkovsky to be Miko Rantanen. That's the end goal. That's ideal. And obviously that's in a perfect world. But you look back to Miko Rantanen's second season. His first season only played nine games, so I wouldn't even call it really a first season. But his his first real season, put it that way, 38 points in 75 games. You know, he the way that he played the game, or the way that he plays the game of hockey, it was a tough transition from his his respective European league to the NHL level. And look, Slavkowski sometimes look, looks lost, and sometimes he looks out of place, and sometimes, you know, you're saying, why didn't you shoot, and why did you pass to no man's land, you know? And it makes you, and then a lot of people question, well, is the NHL ready, this, that? But honestly, there's so many things that he's good at right now that a lot of players will never even get to in their whole career. Yeah. The way he sure. wins battles, the way he, the way he uses his body. And these are all things that are going to improve. And people will say, well, are those the important things? Well, they're important when you're able to work on the things that, the, on the other things that people are capable of improving on. There's a lot of things that he can do that people aren't really capable of improving on. He's just born with it, and it's just inherent. It, it, it comes with who he is as a player. So, and the, yeah, exactly. And the fact that he's not playing with one of the, again, like a top 70 player in the league. So for, for what he's doing right now, I wouldn't say it's a failure at all. There, He's playing with guys who, I mean, yes, he's with Suzuki and Caulfield, but they're not the types of guys who are going to put up 100 points and he's going to pick up all these secondary assists at pad his stats. So to me, to me, it's definitely a successful second half, like three quarters. At the, I don't know how to say it, but like successful last three quarters of the season. The first quarter was a bit of a wash because he was playing no minutes. So I'm right. I'm happy. I'm happy with the production. Just to just to, give, to put in perspective for you, he has four points in the month of January. So what we're January 18th today. So he's a half a point per game in January. Think about yeah. that. So four of his 17 points came in January and the remaining 13 points came October, November, December. So in three yeah. months he put up 13 and then in January he put up four. He's at four and eight so far. So yeah. again, it's, it's progression. It's, it's nice to see. Look, to be completely honest with you, there's no other players on this team. Like, Right now, you know, yes, he alone, and I, I, I appreciate watching. I wish that he get, was given a little bit of a bigger role on this team, but maybe that will come with time. I don't know. Joshua, I'm enjoying watching. I'm enjoying watching Struble, right? We've talked about this, but right now this team is depleted, and it's very obvious, and it's just going to be a matter of, uh, I think we're going to have to really, I, I think, I, but I do think, I think we'll kind of like wrap it up on this note. I do think it's definitely worth noting that this Montreal Canadiens team, especially what they'll do in the offseason and in the draft, I won't say it's going to be an exciting team next year, but you're going to be a lot more excited to watch games 
with Doc, you know, crossing our fingers, is going to be fully healthy yeah. and New Hook turn at some point at this back end of this season. It's, so yeah, it's going to be fun to see this development continue and watch our guys finally get a bit better. And I was just messing around on Stat Muse here. If anyone doesn't know, that's where you we're getting all our stats from and seeing how the Canadians players are producing in the last 5, 10, 15, 20 games. But Slav has 10 points in his last 20 games. So if he continues based on that pace, averaging half a point per game, that's that's pretty good for a rookie. Pr- pretty or pretty good for a second year guy. Yeah, who who re- only played 39 games last year, right? So exactly. we'll leave it at we'll leave it at that. Um Liam, did we want to take a quick look at um the upcoming games for the Montreal Canadiens? Yeah, let's do it. And let's give uh, some predictions. All right, here we go. So, the Montreal Canadiens play tonight against the Ottawa Senators. Now, unfortunately, this episode will probably not be out tonight. It'll probably be out Friday morning for those of you listening. But we'll still give our predictions and whatnot. Um, so, they play the Ottawa Senators in Ottawa tonight. Then they're off to Boston on Saturday. Then against Ottawa at home in Montreal on Tuesday, and then playing the uh, New York Islanders at home on Thursday. So there might be an episode before that game or after that game, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Liam, four games, two against the Senators, three in their divi- three games within their division, four games within their conference. What's the record for the Canadians on this upcoming four game four game trip four game? Stint. Yeah, four games stint. I'll I'll give the split with Ottawa and or sorry, the split between the two games with Ottawa. So I'll say they lose tonight on Thursday, January eighteenth, and then we'll win on the twenty third against Ottawa. I'll say we lose against Boston as well. They're they're always so good, Boston. It's just unfair against the Canadians. It's just especially uh, at home. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Habs going into the TD Garden. Tough to watch, but. Uh, I'm unfortunately going to give the Habs another loss. I swear we always lose to the Islanders. I don't know what it is. Every time I watch the Islanders, the Habs lose. Yeah, the Canadians lose a lot of random games. A lot of random games. And they win a lot of random games. I I don't get it. Yeah, we have these random... We just have these opponents that we always lose to. So the Habs are going 1-3 this week, unfortunately. Dipping below 500 again. Give your predictions quick. I'm, I'm... I might be very bullish here, but okay. I see I see them beating Ottawa tonight. I see them beating Boston in Boston on Saturday night. I see them beating the Sens again at home Damn. on Tuesday and losing to the Islanders. But oh I think God. that they're going to extend their win streak to five total games. And I think that they're going to beat the Senators twice. I think that the Senators are not a team that's, you know, they're bottom of the barrel right now. And I think the Canadians are playing with, I don't know. I don't know if it's something to prove or what, but Caulfield's gone hot. The young players are scoring goals. Slavkovsky's having an, an impact. Give me three games in the row. Give me five games in the row for the for the Canadians, and then the loss to the uh, the Islanders next Thursday. But three and one in that Damn. Four game. All right. I'm also excited to see Primo play. He's confirmed tonight for against tonight. Ottawa. Yeah. 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 So so that'll be nice. And again, let's keep preaching it, Liam. Let's hope for Jake Allen on the way out. Let's hope for David Savard on the way out. And Monaghan, we're indifferent. But again, for the right price, let's hope for him. And guys, sooner rather than later, we'll get to a um, trade deadline video, or sorry, episode. And on top of that, maybe, maybe, 
we'll do a uh, a trade deadline live uh, live stream. But we'll we'll yeah. see. We'll see where we're at. So we're just throwing out some ideas there. Make sure to check out the TikTok. We do a lot of fun games and clips from this podcast. So if you guys are just into the clips and don't feel like listening to us ramble for forty five minutes, go check yeah. out the clips at least. Lots of it, yapping. Uh, it helps. A lot of yapping going on. But um, as per usual, guys, that was episode 71. So we're, uh, you know, 29 away from uh, from the 100 mark. Be but humble. nonetheless, thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs> we always appreciate it. And uh, have a great weekend. Thank you very much, guys.